Jesus, in your name, we pray that you would use your word to help us be more like you, help us to trust you more, help us to live in the love and the victory that you provide. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Great to see all of you here. Merry Christmas uh, to all of you. I want to say Merry Christmas to those of you also who are returning from college. Great to have you here and you're over there. And it's just great to see all of you guys up here. Courtney back. It's just great to have all of you guys back. Thanks for joining us. I want to start by showing you my favorite TV commercial of 2015. Some of you have probably seen it, but it, it still it makes a good point. Take a look. If you're a cat, you ignore people. It's what you do. Oh, come on. If you want to save 15% or more on car insurance, you switch to Geico. It's what you do. Go on, kitty, kitty. Kind of random, I know, but it makes the important biblical point that cats are demons disguised as pets. <laughs> they are a result of the fall. This is just a biblical teaching. Don't argue with me. However, it also illustrates something different. It's kind of a good picture of being stuck, like that guy was stuck, right? And I think most of us at some point feel stuck from time to time. Maybe it's a goal you have, and you are not moving fast enough toward that goal. Maybe you're kind of wondering, well, when's my career ever going to finally take off? When am I going to get married? What kind of college am I going to get into? How will I pay off my student loans if I get into college? Or maybe you've achieved many of your goals. You're on the other side. You've achieved a bunch of goals. Now you're wondering, well, what's next? And why do I still feel a little unsatisfied? Or maybe it's a relational or a health or a financial issue where you feel stuck. But from time to time, we all feel stuck. And if you're not feeling stuck right now, just remember this sermon for the future. Because uh, at some point you will. Or maybe to help out someone else who is stuck. Because the text we read today talks about, among many things, getting unstuck. And it calls Jesus the author of our faith. Some translations say pioneer, others say author and perfecter of our faith. And so if Jesus is the author of our faith, that implies that we are his stories. Our lives are his story to write. As Pastor Eric Johnson says, your life is a story, so don't get stuck in a sentence. You are a story in the making, and you're much more than the sentence you're in right now, so don't get stuck there, whatever it is. If you don't like the page you're on, don't worry, another one's coming. If you don't like the chapter you're in, don't worry, another one's coming. If you don't like the book you're in, don't worry, you're like Star Wars, endless installments. <laughs> Plus, your story, my story, are part of God's bigger story of bringing heaven to earth, and he wants to make us a part of that as well. Following Jesus is not just about going to heaven. It's about so much more. Jesus came to bring heaven down here. Now, I have been preaching this ever since I came, but recently one of our staff people read a book that said the exact same thing, and he was telling me how revolutionary it was for him. And I said, I have been preaching this ever since I came. And he said, I, I know, but this other guy just said it better. I don't know. No offense. No, no, just my life's work down the drain. No, it's... I'm good, I'm good, right? So I'm just going to have to keep repeating this point. Jesus came not just to get us to heaven, but to get heaven into us, to make all things new. And his resurrection is the first, but the, not the last example of that. You know, if following Jesus were just about getting us into heaven, we preachers would just hold you under the waters of baptism a little bit longer. 
that joke works better in a Baptist church, but <laughs> Jesus is the author of our story, and he links us to his bigger story, so don't get stuck in a sentence. Well, but my sentence is full of cuss words. Well, sometimes mine is too, but Jesus can unstick us even there. And the text shows how in a couple of ways. And the first is this. To get unstuck, we need more creator, less editor. And here's what I mean. When I was a writing teacher, I would tell my students that it takes two parts of your brain to write a paper, the creator and the editor. The problem is they hate each other's guts, so you can't let them in the room at the same time. Because right? if the editor is there when you're trying to brainstorm your first draft, the editor will go in your head, you'll hear this, ooh, that was a bad sentence, better fix that. Oh, that's a dumb idea, you can't write that. And then you'll just get paralyzed. You'll just, you'll just be stuck, you won't be able to write. So you have to kick him out and just kind of get all your ideas on paper. But then you have to bring the editor in to revise the paper. And at that point, you've got to kick the creator out. Because otherwise, he'll sit there and he'll go, oh, don't cut that sentence, that's my favorite sentence. Oh, not that one either. I like that one too, right? And you'll be stuck again. We need both, but at different times. It was amazing advice, which my students always ignored. <laughs> but it's really good advice for life as well. <coughs> Spiritually speaking, we need the editor. He's the guy that says, whoa, that's a really bad idea. You better not do that. But for most of us, our editor is in hyperdrive. And that gets us stuck. So, for instance, maybe it's time for a new job. But the editor goes, uh, 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 better play it safe. Right? Or, or maybe, maybe you, in order to get unstuck, you need to do something to help bring up there, down here. Mentor a young person. Help someone out of poverty. Befriend someone who needs a friend. All of which leads to adventure and meaningful relationships and spiritual growth. N maybe you're supposed to do that. But the editor goes, nah, I don't know. That, that could turn out badly or... You don't have enough time or better play it safe. And then we listen. And then we get stuck in the same old, same old, just stuck in a middle-class rut, death by suburb. But don't let it happen. Rage against the minivan, okay? <laughs> ask our creator, you know, ask Jesus, hey, help, uh, help me imagine the places you want to take my story to. Help me imagine what you want to do with my life. And then give me the courage to live it so I can get unstuck. You know, the other thing the editor does is to remind us of our sins and our mistakes. You screwed up there, you screwed up there, you screwed up there. But again, that just gets us stuck in those sins and mistakes. Because you don't get out of bad behavior by dwelling on it. Right? I, I will not eat the chocolate cake. I will not eat the chocolate cake with the sprinkles on top. I will not eat the chocolate cake with sprinkles on top that's in the refrigerator. Right? And then I'm eating the chocolate cake. Right? You don't get out of bad behavior by dwelling on it. You don't break an addiction, for instance, by, by just re resisting the addiction but living the same old life that led to the addiction in the first place. You, you get out of that by living a bigger life that makes the addiction, that makes the bad behavior less attractive. So we need to ask Jesus to help us imagine that bigger life and live into it. More creator, less editor. Second, to get unstuck, you've got to understand, we all have to understand, no conflict, no story. A movie or a story without a conflict, nothing for the main character overcome. A movie or a story that has nothing, no obstacles, no challenges, nothing like that, that's called a French film. Okay, and it's boring. Conflict is not an indication that you are in a bad story. It is an indication that you are in a good story in, a ma in the making. You know you're in a good story if there's a challenge to overcome. 
The text says this, let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out before us. Perseverance means it's a marathon, not a sprint. And the Greek word that's used for race is agon, from which we get our word agony. Isn't that encouraging? Someone told me recently that at dinner they put horseradish on their roast and their seven-year-old son wanted to try it. And then, you know, they warned him of the kind of how strong horseradish tastes, but he took a whole spoonful of it, put it in his mouth, made this agonized face and said, what part of the horse is it? <laughs> Life is like that in moments, right? Little moments of kind of agony. What this text says, though, is that's part of this race called life. See, we think if something's wrong with my life, something's wrong with my life. It should be problem-free, right? We are the only people in history to ever think that. Part of a good race is overcoming the challenge, overcoming the difficulties. But, and this is important, our suffering, our difficulties, our challenges are not meaningless struggle. And that brings me to my third point, your story is going somewhere. The text calls Jesus both the author and perfecter of our faith. Some translations use the finisher of our faith, which means our difficulties aren't circular, going nowhere. We have an author and we have a finisher who is taking our story to his intended and his very good conclusions. And like any good author, he's going to use the challenges, the difficulties that we face to shape and mold and mature our character and drive the plot of our stories forward. When difficulties come along, you know, it's easy for us to go, oh man, there's no plan here, it's just random. There is a plan, it's just not your plan. We have an author and he's also our finisher and he has a storyline that he is working out in you and in me. Now, I don't think that means God sends hardships to punish us or teach us a lesson, but he uses the ones that just naturally come our way to help us grow and to bring good things out of us and through us. And just like a muscles, muscles don't grow unless you work them out in the gym, Right? Uh, your patience doesn't grow unless it's worked. Your courage doesn't grow unless it's worked and challenged. Your love doesn't grow unless it's worked and challenged. Your faith doesn't grow unless it's worked and challenged. Now, I don't want to be trite. I mean, some of the stuff that we face is just is very, very painful and difficult stuff. And we need people to talk to and support us and understand all that. But even in those times, we can also respond to difficulties with curiosity and anticipation. I wonder what Jesus is going to do with this. You know, it's like when you read a good book and, and you start to wonder, how is the main character going to overcome all these challenges? That's what keeps you reading. Curiosity and anticipation can keep you running this race called life. What is Jesus going to do with this? The text tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What was that joy that was set before him? I mean, he was in heaven. Like, what, did, what, what didn't he have there? Like, he, what didn't he have? Only one thing. You and me. We are the joy that was set before him that helped him to endure the cross. You were the payoff. So just like Jesus, we can look ahead to what this challenge is going to produce in us. Whatever you feel stuck in, whatever challenge you face, we can look ahead. And what is he going to do? This, these difficulties can produce in us more love, more hope, more faith, more belief in what God can do. But we also look to Jesus who endured the cross for our sake, which is a reminder how much he loves us. And if he loved us enough to endure the cross, doesn't that mean he would love us enough to take everything the enemy throws at us to destroy us and use it ultimately for our good? Now, that can take time. 
it can sometimes take years to work all of that out, which I hate, right? Like, I don't like waiting. I mean, if life is a story, I don't want mine to be a Russian novel. You know, a thousand pages of misery and then everyone dies. I don't, that's not my deal, right? Can't it be more like a sitcom God? Can't we resolve this in like 20 minutes? There's this website called Edex that has lectures from college professors on all kinds of topics. Great website. And it has this cool feature where you press a button and it speeds up the professor's talking. Like, wouldn't that be awesome for church? Right? You could just speed up the sermon and it would be shorter. Sometimes, though, in life, it just takes a long time to work out God's purposes. To get unstuck, we need more creator, less editor. We've got to understand that Conflict is part of a good story, but it's not meaningless. God uses it to drive our story forward. And then the last thing is, God loves to raise up heroes for his story. You are part of God's bigger story to bring up there, down here. And God wants to heal the world through you. And one of the best ways to get unstuck from the, whatever sentence you feel stuck in is to link our story with God's bigger story. Well, I don't even know where to start doing that. It doesn't matter. Just start somewhere. Wherever there's sadness, whether it's in your school or your office or around the world, wherever there's hopelessness, wherever there's loneliness, that's where we belong. Mentor someone. Befriend someone who needs a friend. Listen to someone in pain. Because when we are part of God's making new of all things, we move forward from the sentence, the page, the chapter that we feel stuck in, even in the most difficult of circumstances. Two people in this church who just mean a lot to me are Tom and Becky Merritt, and they have a story to tell of how God helped move them past a very difficult chapter in their lives. Take a look. Tom and I grew up with a head knowledge of who God was, but it was really through a particular trial in our life that we came to a heart knowledge of God. When our son Nicholas was three and a half. I was working in our office as a physician. I received a call from the Medic One doctor that my son had had a seizure at home. Nick was a completely healthy, robust little three and a half year old boy. He'd never had a seizure before, and then he kept having seizures. We transported him to Children's Hospital, and for 10 days, he had continuous seizures despite the best efforts of the hospital and the prayer support from Bell Prez and family. On the night that Nick died, God really prepared me that Nick would die. And he prepared me through a passage I found in Psalms, Psalm 77. That Psalm is a Psalm of utter lamentation. And it says, has God's loving kindness stopped forever? Has God forgotten to be gracious? It met me where I was on my knees. After Nick died, my understanding of God was completely shattered. I had grown up with this concept of God as kind of a cosmic vending machine where you put in your prayer quarters and God gives you what you ask for. I was just utterly confused and devastated by Nick's death. And I left feeling, who the hell is in charge here? What is the purpose of prayer if God doesn't listen? How could God ever be glorified through this? At the same time, while I was raging at God, I had this really clear sense that Jesus was next to me and he was weeping with me. God gave meaning to the loss of Nick for me by helping me to understand his love for me in a new way. What I heard from God one week after our son died was, Tom, 
I have a new direction for you. God was in essence saying Isaiah 41, 13. Do not fear, Tom. I'll take your hand and help you. My personal life before Nick died was as a perfectionistic, performance-driven physician who served his patients' needs before his family's needs. I clearly sense God's guiding hand telling me to leave private practice to spend more time with my family. After Nick died, I had a tremendous need to help other people's children. And eventually we started traveling to Guatemala with Belprez mission trips. And over a series of trips, I just developed a deep love for those families and those children. When the partnership ended, I wanted to keep seeing them. And there were other people like me. So in 2011, we started the Nicholas Fund for Education. After sixth grade, the kids have to pay tuition to go to school, so our scholarship program provides scholarships so that students can go beyond the sixth grade. The Nicholas Fund has been such an exciting thing to be involved with. From the very beginning, we have depended on God for everything, and it just blows my hair back to see the way God has answered our prayers time and time again. I just want to say that I feel that our son Nick is alive. He's alive through everything that we are doing through the Nicholas Fund for Education, and he inspires me every day. God is good all the time. Even if I cannot see it in that moment, given enough time, I'll look back and I'll see how God guided me and transformed me with his love through that experience. God is good all the time. I don't know how you end up saying that after such a difficult chapter. The loss of a child has got to be one of the most painful things we could ever go through. And I love their honesty about that. I love that moment in that video where Becky says, who the hell is in charge here? That is a good theological question. But out of that, God started to do some new things. They, they, they let God be their author and write a new story out of that. God didn't cause Nick's death, but God could use it and use the pain to shape them and get them closer to him. And, and they became part of God's bigger story, making their son's death mean something by helping children in Guatemala get out of poverty by helping them with an education. And there are other pieces of their story as well. Sorry, this microphone keeps slipping, slipping down. There are other pieces of their story as well. Through our inner he healing prayer ministry here, Tom was able to be healed of depression. He was able to, and then he was able to pay some of that forward to his own family of origin. He said God's love in him was so real that he started hugging his parents and his siblings, and apparently that was new, and showing other kinds of love, and that ended up healing his own family of origin. And He saw them transformed inside and out. Um, Tom and Becky's other children have, have a vital faith in Jesus that they saw lived out in their parents through a very difficult time. In an email to me, Tom said this. He said, through several major losses, he saved and healed our souls. Jesus changed my name from defeated, lost in darkness and despair to victorious and beloved. God's love, joy, and hope overcame generations of sin, addiction, and despair in both of our families. Tom and Becky came into my family's life in a very personal way when our kids were young. I, we were brand new here. We had two toddlers and an infant. I was new in this job. That was back when people would always say to us, oh, enjoy it when your kids are, are so small. It goes so fast. 
And we're like, not nearly fast enough. It doesn't. No siree. And we were in a sentence, man, right? And Tom and, baby, and Tom and Becky babysat for us twice a month for free. And my kids adored them. They showed up and Becky had this dolly with these two boxes of toys and games on it. You know, it's like, sort of like the fun lady has arrived, right? And, and they'd play with my kids while my wife and I got a much-needed date night. They even did the dishes. No greater love has this, Right? <laughs> I mean, like that, I mean, it is, it just, to this day, it makes me want to weep, right? And see what God did. They entered our lives when our son was the same age that their son was when he died. And they said that for them, that was healing. And it certainly was healing for us. And my kids, early in our time here, were given proof positive that they were part of a bigger family called church. And that they were loved not just by mom and dad, but by all of you. And that has informed their character ever since. In fact, one time we were driving by the church and my oldest daughter said, Oh, there's the church. That's my favorite place on earth. Wow, even better than Disneyland, right? Like that's, I'm not sure why that's not home for her, but you know, that's a different sermon. Part of their connection here is because of people like Tom and Becky, who love them and who were heroes. Yes, because of their work in Guatemala with kids there, but also through the much more ordinary act of babysitting and changing three kids' lives. You can be a hero simply by babysitting for parents who desperately need that, or mentoring, or listening, or befriending someone. Tom and Becky lived through a very, very difficult chapter, but God wasn't done. He had other sentences, other chapters, other volumes to write with their life and with yours. So what sentence do you feel stuck in right now? Because you're not. Because God is not done. Ask Jesus to help you see the chapters ahead that he wants to write through you. Get you unstuck. Make you part of his bigger story. And trust that he will do that. And Christmas shows us how we really are never stuck. Because in one of the worst chapters of Israel's history, under the oppressive boot of a European colonial power called Rome, God himself came in human form, born into poverty, in a stable, a Middle Eastern Palestinian family who then were forced to be refugees in Egypt to escape a genocidal king. Oh, he is as relevant today as he was then. Because that was not the end of the story. It was just a sentence. And he grew up, and there were healings and miracles, and a movement started that changed history, and it changed lives. And at Easter, he defeated even death, which shows that God literally is never done with our stories because they go on and on forever from strength to strength to strength. I don't care how messed up you feel today or how bored or stuck you feel. God is not going to give up on you, so don't you give up on you either. I don't, I don't care about that stupid thing you just did, even if it's the same stupid thing that you always do. I don't care if your friends and your family have given up on you. God will not give up on you because God never gives up and God is never done, not with you and not with me. So don't get stuck in a sentence because another one's on the way. So Jesus, you do that all the time. You are the one who does that all the time. And so when we feel stuck, stuck in a career, stuck in a rut, stuck in a problem. Jesus, we declare that you and you alone are our author and our perfecter, alpha and omega, our beginning and our end, and you can move us forward. So Jesus, we give to you our places where we are stuck and say, make us part of your bigger story and write the story in us that you want to write and we'll give you the credit for it. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.